I want to introduce you to the newest member of the Carlson family. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Woody. Here you go, buddy. Let me see him. This is Woody. And uh, I have my uh, close friend, Charlie Johnson, up there to thank for this. Thank you, friend, Charlie, for... Uh, for uh, the new uh, addition to our family. But uh, Woody, is, Woody has been pretty cool. We had him for about two weeks now. I apologize if any of you guys are, uh, uh, hopefully there's no severe allergies. I'm gonna have people walking out. I didn't even think about that. But um, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a cat guy. I never really had cats as a kid growing up. I always had dogs growing up. And so we were thinking about you know, getting a pet and, uh, and I have been really just pleasantly surprised and thrilled with how much I've come to love Woody here in the last couple weeks. You know, when we brought Woody home, he's just a little kitten, it, it was amazing. We brought him home, we put his litter box out on the floor, and lo and behold, the guy goes right into his litter box, he does his business, he cleans it up, he jumps out, and I'm thinking, this is amazing! I'm like, when we brought our dog home, our dog went down on the brand new carpet and went to the bathroom, then he rolled around in it and dragged his butt across the floor. I'm, I'm like, cat's not so bad, right? And, uh, and then, you know, it's just been fun watching, watching Woody and, and, and just the things that he does. You know, kittens, I didn't realize how fun kittens are. One of my favorite things to do is just to watch Woody as he stalks around the house. I mean, you know, he just has this instinct, the instinct of a tiger in him. And, you know, whether it's stalking his toys or what is shadows on the floor or, you know, little wisps of light he sees, he'll just go and kind of stalk around the floor. And, and uh, he just does that instinctively, right? I mean, nobody had to teach him to do this stuff. He just does cat things because that's what cats do. They do this stuff instinctively. All right, pal, that's about enough of you this morning, I think. And uh, let's give my assistant here a hand, Caleb, my son. Good job, buddy. <laughs> All right, why don't you go take, uh, you take Woody back to my office. See, he's already, he's trying to stalk already. We could, we could help solve the mouse problem around here, Jim, if we uh, maybe just let Woody roam around a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's interesting when I, when I think about my, my cat Woody here, you don't have to teach a cat to do cat stuff, right? I mean, they just do cat stuff because it's their nature to do cat stuff. And in the same way, when you think about other animals out in the world today, you know, fish, right? No one teaches fish how to swim. I mean, even though they swim in schools, you know, they don't, they're not being taught to swim. And, and, and eagles up in their nests, they're not taking their chicks to flight school. They just jump out of their nests and they know how to fly. They do these things instinctively because it's part of their very nature. And in the same way, friends, today we're going to look at a central aspect of our nature as Christians. A central aspect of our nature as Christians, and that is our love. Our love. As Christians, we love it's what we do. It's just part of our nature. For the Christian, love should be as intrinsic to us as stocking prey is to my little kitten. It should just be a part of what we do by nature. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking this morning, well, wait a minute here, Jason. Love doesn't come naturally to us. We're not cats, all right? We don't do this stuff instinctively by nature. And if that's what you're thinking, you're partly right. Okay? In our human nature, in our fallen, sinful human nature, love doesn't come naturally to us because we are sinners. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're sinful by nature, and as sinners by nature, selfishness is what comes naturally to us. Am I right? 
right? Selfishness is what comes naturally to us, not love. But here's the thing. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, according to 2 Peter 1.4, we inherit a new nature. And in 2 Corinthians 5.7, the Bible says that God actually gives us a new nature in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. God empowers us through this new nature with the ability to love, and it becomes an instinctual part of who we are. It's what we do as Christians. 2 Peter 1.4 says that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we actually begin to participate in and grow in conformity to God's divine nature. And friends, when you think about God's divine nature, that thing in which we participate in and grow in conformity to, friends, what is at the heart of God's nature? What is at the very heart of God's nature? 1 John 4.8 tells us, as plain as day, God is love. God is love. That's who he is. That's his nature. And we as believers with the Holy Spirit begin to participate in God's divine nature. And so as we're going to see this morning, what Paul teaches us in our passage today is that love should be the distinguishing mark of our lives and our churches as followers of Jesus Christ. Friends, love should be as natural to us as swimming is to fish, as flying is to birds, as stocking prey is to kittens. So here's what I want to do. I want to read our passage together this morning. We're going to take a look at our passage, and then I want to highlight three truths in this passage, three truths about the nature of Christian love. Let's take a look at this today. First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. By the way, those are the, the least favorite words for a pastor in the Bible, Right? Hey, we don't need to say anything about this. Come on, brother, help me out here, man. All right, I got to tell some, I got I to preach for 30 minutes. That's not helping me out. But as we're going to see, there's a lot of stuff in here for us to unpack. Now about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. All right, Paul here gives the Thessalonians some very simple, very clear instructions on Christian love. I want to unpack this for us a little bit this morning because what we're going to find, there are really three key truths in this passage about the nature of our love as brothers and sisters in Christ that is really important for us to understand this morning. The first of these truths I want to highlight for us today is that Christians are to be noted for our love. Christians are to be noted for our love. The Apostle Paul here in this passage, he begins in verses 9 and 10, he says, About brotherly love, I don't need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. This church was noted for their love. Now I want to share three observations about this first point this morning. First of all, the Apostle Paul here in these first verses, 9 and 10, tells us that Christian love is a God-taught love. 
Christian love is a God-taught love. In other words, friends, you don't need to go to a theology class in seminary to understand Christian love, all right? In fact, Paul himself says, look it, I don't even need to bother writing to you about this stuff because you yourselves have been taught by God how to love. Christian love is a God-taught love. How has God taught us to love, friends? Three ways primarily. Number one, through the example of the Father. We see instinctively as Christians, we know without attending great depth, in-depth theology classes how to love because first of all, we see the example that God the Father showed us of love. How did God show us love? First John 4 verse 9 says, this is love. God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And so just by seeing the example of how our heavenly father loves, we know how to love. But more than that, it's not just through the example of the Father. We know love because of the teaching of the Son. You see, Paul didn't need to share any more about this topic with the Thessalonians because they had already received the teaching of Jesus Christ, our Master. Jesus taught us how to love. If you remember in uh, Mark chapter 12, one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Jesus, which of all the commandments are the greatest commandments? And Jesus says there's two. He says the first is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And number two, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Very simple. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what Jesus told us to do. He taught us to love. In John 13, 34 through 35, at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, that you might love one another. And Jesus goes on, he says, this is how the whole world will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. So Jesus has taught us love. The Father's shown us love, Jesus has taught us love, but then when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And the Holy Spirit, as I alluded to earlier, gives us a completely new nature and a new capacity to love. Romans 5, 5 says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Friends, you don't need to go to a three or four week class on love to know how to love. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has poured out God's love into our hearts and has given us the ability to love. Why did Paul say to these Thessalonian believers, I don't need to tell you anymore about brotherly love because God himself has taught you these things. It's because they had received the Holy Spirit. He had begun this work in their lives. Galatians 5, they had begun to experience the fruit of the Spirit growing in their lives, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Take deep breath, faithfulness and self-control right? They did these things because that's what happens. If you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within you, well, get ready to start loving because it's just what you're going to do. It's what God does in our hearts. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the thing that's awesome about the love that we learn from God, this God-taught love. The God-taught love that we learn from God, that we receive from the Holy Spirit, is a special kind of love. It's called agape love. Paul says about brotherly love, I don't need to say anything more to you because God himself has taught you how to love. Brotherly love is one word in Greek, but what God has taught them, Paul uses a completely different word for love. He says agape love. And what is agape love? This God-taught love that we receive as Christians. 
Agape love, friends, is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that seeks to serve and put others first ahead of ourselves. It's a love that keeps on giving even when it's tough. It's a love that gives and serves even when no one gives you any recognition in return. It's a love that mirrors God's love for us when he gave his son as the ultimate sacrifice. No strings attached. He did it simply and purely because he loves. That's the kind of love that God teaches us when we become followers of Jesus Christ. You know, as I was thinking this week, I, I started thinking about all the people in our church that I, that I could highlight this week as examples of people who are living out this God-taught love, this agape love. And it's such a blessing to be a part of a church where, where this agape love flows so freely. I was thinking, just yesterday, I ran into my friend Marlis Breeden up at Walmart in St. Croix Falls. Marlis, you know, she's one of the seniors in our church, and she was so excited. She, she came right up to me. She said, Pastor Jason, I just got to tell you what's going on. Marlis has been tutoring Chinese immigrants for the last few years. She tutors adult Chinese immigrants in English to help teach them English so that they can, you know, get established here in America. And she's building relationships with these Chinese immigrants. She's having an opportunity to share Christ with them. She's influencing them with the love of God while she's teaching them English. In fact, many of you know this, this Chinese woman who worked at China Panda who passed away this summer in the tragic car accident, Lim. Right? Lim had become a believer in Christ primarily through the influence of Marlis and her testimony in her life. So here's this woman who's just serving and loving these people because that's just what, is what we do. It's what we do as Christians. She's not getting any reward for this other than the joy of being used by God to be a blessing in people's lives. And I shared with Marlis, I said, Marlis, do you realize what's happening here? You become a missionary to Chinese folks right here in Lindstrom. Isn't that awesome? It's all because she wants to love and serve because of the agape love. I was thinking of other friends. I, Tim and Allison, I know you're going to be embarrassed by me sharing this, but you know, my friends Tim and Allison here, they just got married, by the way. Tim and Allison adopted recently two little boys from the inner city Detroit with tremendous needs. And I was talking to my brother Tim earlier this summer. I said, I said Tim, what are, you, what are you doing? And he said, you know, a lot of my friends think I'm crazy. But he said, if I don't take care of these boys and love them, who will? And it's time for me to step up and be a man and, and love these kids. Friends, that's agape love. That's what the love of God does. It touches our hearts and it, it causes us to look at others through the eyes of Jesus Christ and we love even when it's hard, and we serve even when we don't get recognition for it. It's just what we do. And I was thinking of so many examples, the ways our, our ABF groups here, our adult Bible fellowship groups in our church rally around to serve one another in times of need. I mean, my family experienced this agape love of God just in this past year as my wife was dealing with cancer. Friends, the, the hundreds of gifts and cards and emails and, and words of encouragement and babysitting help, and meals that were provided. Friends, we experienced agape love in action. It's real. It happens. It's what God does when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in people's hearts, and that begins to get expressed in outward action. And it's an amazing thing. We saw it this weekend in the sharing shop ministry, women like Colleen Ferkus and Liz Meyercheck. They don't get any financial reward out of this. 
They hardly get any recognition for this, but they spend hours and hours throughout the year serving the sharing shop because they just want to express God's agape love to our community. It's just incredible. And I could just go on and on this morning talking about the ways that we see agape love in action here in our church. And this leads me to my second observation about this point this morning. God taught love. Agape love compels us to love one another. You just can't do anything else when you experience God's agape love. It compels us to love one another. Paul says about brotherly love, I don't need to teach you anything because God himself has taught you this kind of love. Now what's this brotherly love Paul talks about? The word he uses there is Philadelphia. It's where we get our term Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from, right? By the way, I hope today Philadelphia doesn't express a whole lot of brotherly love to the Vikings, all right? Um, But that's where the term comes from, Philadelphia, brotherly love. It originally meant affection for somebody of the same family. Paul says that God's love will produce affection within us for members of the same family. And you're thinking, okay, well, great, I'm off the hook. I don't have to love that hard guy in my ABF anymore. No, 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 that's not how it works, okay? Because the reality is when somebody is a brother or sister in Christ, you become part of the same spiritual family. And you're called to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters through our union with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been on a mission trip somewhere around the world, a completely different culture? Have you ever had the experience of going into a whole new different culture and walking into a group of believers in a different culture, people that can't even speak your own language, but like instantaneously there's a connection there, there's a bond there, there's a a mutual affection there? See, friends, that's what brotherly love does in the Christian sense. When God's love transforms our hearts and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, when we meet somebody else who also has that same spirit in them, we just can't help but love them because there's an instantaneous bond and connection there. I remember the first time I met, you guys have heard many times about Pastor Obispo and the church down in Guatemala that our church helps support. I remember a few years ago, the first time I met Pastor Obispo, me and a few guys from Lakes Free had gone down there on a mission trip. And I remember we rolled into the community and they like put on this like amazing like celebration for us. They had the church like praising and singing worship songs and we walked in there like we were rock stars or something. But it, was, it wasn't because they wanted to put on some big show. It's just because they were so excited to express their love for us and that's how they did it in that culture. And right away, there was this instantaneous bond between us and these people, and we could barely even talk to one each other, but there was love there. Why? Because they had the same spirit in them that we had in us. Brotherly love compels us to love one another. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, but Jason, there's, there's a lot of people. There's some brothers in this church that are kind of hard to love, you know what I'm saying? Do I really have to love that guy? Do I really have to love that tough couple in my ABF that are kind of a pain, you know, sometimes. Friends, the reality is if somebody is a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you have to love them. Jesus says a new command I give you, love one another. This is a non-negotiable, okay? There's no wiggling out of this. If you're a follower of Christ and they're a follower of Christ, you love them. You're going to be compelled to love them. It's just what happens, right? And here's the deal. If you remember, Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I want to tell you this because you better love that guy because the reality is, is God's probably building his mansion right next to yours for all of eternity. You know what I'm saying? So you might as well start loving him right here and now. 
because you're gonna be loving them for a long time. But in all seriousness, genuine love for one another is a reflection of God's presence in us. And when we love, we reflect God's presence. But when love is absent from God's people or from a church, when a church isn't characterized by God's love, something is seriously wrong. And if that's the case in your life, or if you see that reflected anywhere in our church, friends, we need to deal with that. We need to go to God. We need to seek forgiveness. We need to ask God to do a work in our hearts to increase our capacity to love that person, to love one another. And I promise you, God will do that. He'll do that miraculous work in your heart because that's just what Christians do. They love. It's second nature to us. It is our nature. And the third observation I want to make about this first point here is this. The Thessalonian church was commended by Paul for their love. He says about brotherly love, I don't even need to write anything to you because God has already taught you to love one another. And in fact, you are loving all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. That whole region of what is today northern Greece, this church was impacting that entire region with the love of Christ. This was a church that was living what they claimed to believe. You know, friends, in a day and age where so many people view the church as hypocrites, this was a church that that label certainly didn't apply to. They were living what they professed. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul had already commended them for their labor prompted by love. And here we see that their love was not only directed towards one another in their own church, but it had impacted the churches throughout Macedonia. Friends, this is how the Christian church transformed the ancient world. This is how Christianity took that violent culture of Greco-Roman culture and turned it into a culture that knew and understood values like love and service and humility. It wasn't through military might. It wasn't through political power. It was through the power of their love. Even in the face of persecution, these believers loved. Justin Martyr, who was an early second century apologist of the Christian faith, In one of his letters defending the church to the Roman emperor Justinius, he wrote this. He says, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. Friends, what a model for us to aspire to. This is the kind of church the world needs today. Jesus said in Matthew 24, his disciples came to us and, Lord, how are we going to know when the end times are approaching? And if you read Matthew 24, Jesus gives us this long list of signs to be watching for. And I'll tell you, friends, if you haven't read that recently, go take a look because it's like reading the front lines of today, headlines of today's newspaper. But right in the heart of those signs of the end times, Jesus says, and the love of most will grow cold. Friends, that's the world we're living in today. The love of most is growing cold very quickly. We turn on the news at night and we see the race relations deteriorating in our nation. We see just the the ugliness that our political realm has turned into in recent years. We see the breakdown of the family 
all around us in our culture, more than ever, the world needs the church to lead in love. But sadly, for too many people in our culture today, the church isn't characterized by our love. It's known instead for its opposition and our infighting and our protests. And please hear me on this point, friends. I'm not saying there's not a time for the church to stand for truth against obvious wrongs. I'm a truth guy, okay? There is a time for us to stand against obvious evil in our world. But the reality is, even then, we need to strive to do so in love. In love. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. That's our calling, church. That's our challenge. How do you think we're doing on this one? How are we doing lakes free? Would God commend us for our love? You know, I, my gut instinct is I want to say I think we're doing pretty good. You know, I, as, as your pastor, I'm, I'm really proud of the many ways I see God's love being expressed in our church. But you know what? We certainly haven't arrived, and we're certainly not perfect And there's certainly areas where we need to continue to seek God's help to grow in our love. There's always more, friends. In fact, even Paul admonishes the Thessalonians who he had just praised. He admonishes them to even greater displays of love. This leads me to point number two. Christian love knows no limits. In verse 10b, the apostle Paul, after commending them for their love, then he goes on and he says, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But Paul says, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Keep on loving. Do so more and more. Friends, there is no finish line in the Christian's life of love. There's always more. But here's the thing. This isn't like a chore we have to work at. Okay, Paul's not assigning a task to us here. When Paul says love and do so more and more, what he knew and what the church in Thessalonica knew is that this was a no-brainer. This would be like taking your kids to Disneyland and saying, hey kids, we gotta go on more rides, and by the way, you gotta eat more cotton candy. Oh, and by the way, tonight we're gonna be having dinner with Cinderella. You okay with that? Yeah, sign me up, right? This is what Paul's inviting them into when he says, do this more and more. If you remember back in the beginning of chapter 4 that Pastor Rick talked about last week, in verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul tells these Christians, he says, it's God's will for you that you should be sanctified. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process whereby we as Christians grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. And when it comes to growing in the likeness of Christ, part of that is growing in the love of Christ. And when it comes to growing in the love of Christ, you need to understand this, friends. The love of Christ knows no limits. There's always more. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, Jesus' love knows no boundaries. It knows no limits. There's always more. And of course you want more of this. And the more you experience it, the more you're going to want to share it. Because that's how Christ's love works. A couple years ago, the guys of my adult Bible fellowship group, the Ikea group, we had a guy's night out. We went down to this restaurant in Minneapolis called the Teppanyaki Grill and Supreme Buffet. All right. Now, you know you're in for a good night when you're going to a place called the Supreme Buffet. All right. So we rolled into this place with about 20 guys from our ABF. And like it was like, ah, you walk in there. Right. And there's just like dozens of buffet tables with every kind of food you can imagine. I mean, I'm not kidding. They had every culture in the world, every kind of food group, desserts. Oh, it was awesome. And we went in that place and we just like gorged ourselves and just had a blast together. And guys were going back for seconds, coming back to the table. Hey, you got to try this. This is amazing. Oh, here, let me share this with you. Oh, you got to go try some of that. It was just awesome. And the more we ate, the more we wanted. And we just kept sharing our food with one another. I mean, they literally had to roll a couple of our guys out of the restaurant that night. That's how bad it was. But friends, I share that story because when it comes to God's love, it's the same way. The more we consume, the more we want, and the more we want to share it with others because it's just so good. We just want more, and we want to give more, and we want to share more, and we want to bless others more because it's an unending bounty that knows no limits. You can't even begin to comprehend it. You just have to experience it, and the more you experience it, the more you just want to give it away to somebody else because that's what God's love is all about. It's just awesome. So please hear this, friends. When it comes to Paul's commission here, charging us to love more and more, he's not giving us a task. He's inviting us to Disneyland with unlimited passes. He's inviting us to the world's greatest buffet. He's saying this is where love is found. It's found in knowing God's love and giving God's love, and it's all yours. So do so more and more. Yeah, sign me up. Sign me up because I had some of that, and it's so good. And Mike, I want you to taste it. And Diane, I want you to taste it. And Becky, I want you to taste it. It's just what happens when we consume God's love. We just want to keep giving it away. That's the power of God's love. Point number three this morning, how are we to love one another? Truth number three of the nature of Christian love, Christian love needs to be exercised. Christian love needs to be exercised. Let me read for you verses 11 through 12 again. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Here in verses 11 through 12, Paul highlights three simple, practical ways that we can begin to exercise our love for one another. Just three simple ways. And I love this here because Paul takes us right to the basics. He takes us right to the nuts and bolts of loving one another, right? He doesn't say go start an orphanage or go work in a homeless shelter or go start an after-school program. Not that any of those wouldn't be excellent ways to exercise God's love, okay? Don't hear me wrong on that. All great ways to exercise God's love. But here, Paul says, start with the basics. You want to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Start with the basics. See, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that if we start simple, we're only going to want more and more. So he says, start here. Don't, he doesn't try to overwhelm us with all these big grand visions of exercising our love. He just says, start simple. 
If you want to exercise your love, this is where you begin. See, that's how sanctification works, friends. You begin walking God's path for your life, and what you find is that every step leads you into something even better, and so you just want more. So when it comes to love, Paul says, start here. Three practical ways that we can exercise our love. Number one, Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. In the Greek, this literally reads, be zealous and strive eagerly to be quiet, to be peaceful, to be tranquil. You don't really think about it that way, right? Be zealous and strive eagerly to live a quiet life. But that says Paul is one of the ways that we can love one another. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about Christians who influence the world through a life characterized by quiet humility. They're not obnoxious. They're not trying to bring attention to themselves. They're not worried about showing off to other people. They just live for Christ by serving and loving with a quiet humility. Make it your ambition, Paul says, to lead a quiet life. Friends, how different from our Western secular culture? Our Western secular culture today, everybody wants to be on their own reality TV show. Everybody's looking for their own 15 minutes of fame. Everybody's showing off on Facebook and Twitter about their latest exploits. Paul says, no, no, no. If you want to love your brothers and sisters, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life of humility, of love and service to other people. That's brotherly love. That's Christian love. You know, when I was thinking about it this week, I started thinking to myself, I said, man, you know who, you know who models this to me? I see this every single day. They're going to hate me for pointing them out this morning, but I think of people like Jim and Peggy Malcolm. Jim and Peggy, who give so much for our church. Probably half of you guys don't even know who they are. But they are folks, friends, who literally make this church run on a daily basis. I bet they were the first ones here this morning, and I bet they're going to be the last ones here when we shut the lights off and leave today. And they're the first ones to sign up and give and serve and love. I mean, uh, Jim, Peggy, I just want to thank you guys for being a tangible expression of God's love to our church and our family. You've inspired me, and, and I hope that all of you guys get a chance to get to know them. And again, there's many others I could highlight in here. But Paul says, make it your ambition to lead that kind of a life, a life characterized by quiet humility. You just go about your business serving others, loving others, and you do it all for the glory of God. Secondly, how do we love one another? Paul says, mind your own business. Mind your, <laughs> this is kind of in your face. I mean, mind your own business. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul literally says, don't be a busybody. Okay? Worry about your own life. Don't be so concerned about everybody else's life. Don't stick your nose in other people's affairs. Don't be a gossip. Okay? Mind your own business, Paul says. Friends, gossip is arguably one of the most pervasive sins in the church today. I, that's just, I mean, I'm just saying it plainly and straightforward. It's probably one of the most pervasive sins in the church. And you know what? We have so many tools today that help us in our gossip, right? You got Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and all these, right? And sometimes we fall into gossip without even intending to fall into gossip. Because we see something and, oh, by the way, I got to share this with so-and-so, Right? Gossip is something that's very easy to cross the line in. We do it even in our prayer requests for one another. 
right? And again, it doesn't even have to happen intentionally. We can just simply cross the line. Hey, I want to pray for my friend Jill. Oh, by the way, did you know her husband's struggling with alcoholism? We should really pray for right? It's kind of crossing the line, right? What, where is that line? I don't know, but we have to discern through God's wisdom. We need to ask God, you know, God, give me a heart to love my brothers and sisters. I am called to pray for them. I am called to be concerned with them, but help me know where and when I'm crossing the line into gossip. And friends, if you feel like that's an issue for you, just take it to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help you with that. He will. He'll do a work in your heart because that's what Christian love does. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. He'll help you grow and work on that issue. But it's something that we need to work on because it's one of the ways that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, you mind your own business. And then thirdly, Paul says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. Now this is an interesting point. What does work have to do with love? What Paul is saying here, friends, is that we shouldn't be a burden to other brothers and sisters in Christ. We shouldn't be a burden to the community in which we live. And so Paul says work. When we work, we're exercising love by not being a burden to others. And furthermore, in working, we will then have the means to help those who aren't able to work or who've experienced some type of hardship in their life. And then Paul says the ultimate motivation for our work is that we might win the respect of outsiders. Do you know when Paul was writing this word to the Thessalonians, there was a group of people in this church who had actually basically dropped out of society. They were waiting for what they thought was the imminent return of Jesus. And so they had quit their jobs. They had become a drain on their brothers and sisters, totally dependent on other people to care for their needs. And in, in doing all of that, they were bearing a terrible witness to the watching world. I mean, what kind of witness is that? A bunch of lazy Christians sitting around waiting for Jesus to return, dependent on everybody else to take care of them? That's not a Christian witness. So Paul says, get to work. All right? Now, I know many of us probably aren't dropping out of daily life waiting for Jesus to show up, and I commend you for that. Right? But again, we work because the world is watching. And we are called to work. It's a way that we honor God. It's a way that we honor and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Biblical Christianity has always dignified work. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's a God-honoring thing. You know, remember three ways. When we work, we reflect the God who made us. Our God is a working God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he gives us the charge in Genesis 1, 27 through 30, to work ourselves. Our God's a creative, working God who created us to work. When we work, we also worship. Did you know your job is a form of worship? Look what Paul says in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Christ you are serving. You know, Paul, when you go to the hospital tomorrow morning, you're not serving Fairview. You are working for the Lord, right? John, when you walk into the coffee shop, you're not serving your customers. You're serving Jesus by serving your customers, right? When we work as Christians, we work unto the Lord as a form of worship. Martin Luther King Jr. once had a great quote. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. 
When you work, friends, you are honoring the Lord. You are worshiping the Lord by doing it with all your heart. Thirdly, when we work, we witness to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Do you know your workplace is one of the greatest opportunities you have to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Every single day, you can go in there as an ambassador for Christ, as a missionary for Jesus Christ. I talked to one person the other day. I said, what do you do for a living? They said, oh, I work at the grocery store. I said, oh, that's, that's cool. How long do you work there? And he said, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm really an undercover cashier for Jesus Christ. I thought that was pretty cool. What an attitude. But that's what Paul calls us to. Friends, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, we can all work to the glory of God. And when it comes to this whole message on Christian love, I want you to keep this in mind. The choices we make each day matter. Our lifestyle and our actions matter. Our attitudes toward the calling God has given us matters. And most of all, our love matters. Are we seeking to go about our daily business and live our lives to display the love of Jesus Christ? Are we noted for our love? Are we exercising our love? Does our love bear witness to the incredible God we serve? I hope so. Let's pray that God would do so even more and more in all of our lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be the hands and feet of Christ to a watching world and to convey your love to a watching world. Jesus, this is something that is intrinsic to us by nature, but it's also something, Lord, that we all have to grow in more and more as we grow in our own sanctification, Lord. So I just pray that. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my friends here. Lord, continue to grow hearts of love in each of us so that we can bear powerful testimony to a watching world of the greatness of the God that we serve. Lord, I thank you for the many ways that Lakes Free is exercising our love. But Lord, may we never be satisfied. May we never be content. May we each examine our own hearts today and say, Lord, is there anything in me that needs to be purified and, and, and forgiven so that I can keep going forward into greater acts of love? God, open our hearts, open our, open our eyes to see needs. Give us your heart and compassion for people. And may we be a church, just like the Thessalonian church, that literally transforms our whole community because we're known for our love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.